This episode is sponsored by Cards Against Humanity. They asked us not to read an ad, so enjoy the show. Your Stories is a wonderful opportunity to share all the highs and lows of being a nerd. You know that hobby you have that you don't talk to anyone about? It's a secret you don't like to share because it might make you feel weird. Maybe you're into something different. Uh, comic books, fantasy football, push-ups. Your Stories, to me, has been this really kind and welcoming space where people just have the guts to be really honest and they share their voices and their stories with everyone there, no questions asked. Uh, I've heard stories about all those things. Uh, maybe not not a lot of push-ups. I maybe haven't heard a lot of stories about push-ups. The Nerdalogs is group therapy meets Toastmasters. I know there's always a place where my odd thoughts and unusual habits will be welcomed and championed in a warm, supportive environment by other nerds just like me. And what's fun is you'll see people in the audience uh, one month, and then all of a sudden they uh, go up and tell their story. So your story becomes their story, and their story is your story, and then it's our story, and then it's a podcast, so it's everybody's story, and then you've shared it, and gosh, that's great, huh? And even if you don't think you're a nerd, you probably are. That's something. Hey everybody, my name is Eric Garneau, and this is the second part of our bonus March 2015 episode of the Nerdalogs Presents Your Stories, recorded live in Los Angeles, California, during a Nerdalogs vacation out there last month. Uh, these episodes were super fun and satisfying to do, and I want to extend a huge thanks to all our speakers and audience members and our hosts, Dinosaur Coffee, which you can find at 4334 Sunset. It is a really great place to caffeinate, and uh, we love them. So thanks, guys. Uh, this episode, we have stand-up comedian Kristen Clifford, improviser Eric Roth, and a trio of great L.A. writers and general creative people, Maggie Clancy, Gary Lucy, and D.C. Pearson. Plus, there is some pretty sweet music from myself and Claire Friedman, if I do say so myself. Um, there's not a lot of Nerdalog stuff I can plug right at this moment. Trust me when I say we have some really cool things coming soon. Uh, but as usual, we have a weekly lineup of podcasts on our website and iTunes that are free to enjoy, including Talking Games every Tuesday and MBSing with Mary Beth Smith every Wednesday. Uh, also, this is really cool. Nerdalog founder Kevin Reeder and friend of the group Kevin Budnick are kickstarting a really sweet project called The Secret History of Chicago, which is a comedy graphic novel coloring book that reveals some of our city's deepest secrets. Uh, you can find this, of course, by searching on Kickstarter. Again, it's called The Secret History of Chicago. I will also post a link to this project uh, in this episode's page on our website. I highly recommend backing it. You can get the book for just like 15 bucks. It looks unbelievably cool. Uh, finally, thanks to our sponsors for this episode, Cards Against Humanity. I tell you more about them, but that's probably unnecessary. Uh, thanks also to the Chicago Podcast Co-op for their support. If you're a podcaster or business owner in Chicago and want to be a part of a very cool thing, go to www.chicagopodcastcoop.com to get started. But before you do that, or while you're doing that, I, I don't care. Just enjoy the show. So, this was a song that Claire and I decided to do because we can do it without Dwight. And uh, it is by my favorite artist in the world, my spirit animal, Mr. Bruce Springsteen. And, and also, it is also by the woman who spoke at my college graduation, Patty Smith. So, and then she signed my announcement. That's that's really cool, uh, and it actually the you may not think the lyrics fit with the theme, but they totally do. There are actually like infinite versions of this song. Uh, the Patty lyrics are probably the ones you know. Bruce has about a hundred different versions because he he wrote it and then he never released it. But then he's like, I'm gonna play it live and do it a bunch of different ways. I I'm only going into this because I know there's some music nerds out there, so maybe you care. I consider the version on the live 7585 box set the definitive Springsteen version. And I would consider the Patty Smith single version the definitive version. Oh, I said the definitive Springsteen version. We don't have to get territorial about this. Oh, she said what she said. Listen, Bruce wrote the song, man. I'm just saying. Uh, anyway, so we're going to do like a mashup of the different versions. Uh, a mashup like on Glee, but it's just one song. And, uh, <laughs> so not really at all. Anyway, this is Because of Night. Because 
down, baby, here is I am. Hold me close, try and understand. I work all day out in the hot sun. Break my back till the morning comes. part so guys I have failed in my mission so I'll just have to do this again at some future show <laughs> but for now we got other shit anybody uh, guys so coming up next in the first half of Storytellers this, this next speaker actually uh, lives in Chicago now like us just happens to be out in LA for some shows this week uh, she is a cast member at the Lincoln Lodge if you're in Chicago and ever want to go see that this is Kristen Clifford a show called The Grind because I'm actually celebrating my six month anniversary of quitting my job. Uh, it's, it was very exciting. It was a good move. Uh, I quit for a lot of reasons. Uh, one being that I wasn't sleeping and I fell asleep while driving home from work and hit a semi. You guys are all like appropriately shocked. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so that was a little spooky, but maybe like the spookiest thing was, um, you know, when you don't sleep a lot and you're stressed out, sometimes you can see something called peripherals, which is like you think there's a person, but there's not a person um, coming up alongside you. Uh, and that's pretty scary, but also like sad, because it's like, is it a friend? No, stress-induced psychosis. Cool. <laughs> But so, uh, so quitting that job has like led me to, you know, have a lot of fun interviewing for other jobs. And I interviewed for one recently that was for like a Google wallet Venmo type company, you know, where you send money electronically to your friends and family and landlords. And, um, so I was like, I go in and they're like, the position is researcher. And I'm like, awesome. I'm super nosy. <laughs> 
what do you guys want me to find out about? And they were like, we need you to research the current going rates for sexual favors because a lot of times when people send each other money electronically, they put a sexual favor in as a joke. (laughs) (laughs) And we need to make sure that's not real. Because it's illegal. <laughs> so essentially, if the rate and or the act and the amount are too close to the current street rate for said sexual favor, which I've carefully researched as part of my job, uh, I then have to call that person and be like, uh, "Hey, Tim, uh, it's Kristen from Google Wallet. On October twentieth, you sent your friend Brian fifty dollars for butt sex." <laughs> Was that actually four butt sex? (laughs) Or were you just being hilarious? (laughs) It's fine if you were. Um, But just in the future, so your transaction doesn't get held up, you might want to try something a little more innocuous. like hot stuff, back door. That could be a construction project. We don't. Uh, Alfred Hitchcock's rear window. It's like if you capitalize cock, we'll all know what you're talking about. Uh, I haven't heard back from that company after that interview. Um, I don't know if I actually want that job. I do know that I want to make that phone call just one time. So if they could um, give it to me. I've actually been temping over the holidays. I'm doing customer service, um, which I actually really like. Um, one of my favorite things about it is that I get to know everyone's email that calls in, and some of them are hilarious. And I don't have to do this, but if it's particularly embarrassing, I will repeat it back to you to humiliate you um, on the phone, and I'll be like, Lil Stank Gangsta? <laughs> I can look that up for you. <laughs> And I, it's led me to a lot of new discoveries. I discovered a new product that I was unaware of, uh, which is called a selfie stick. Uh, do you guys know what those are? Yeah. Just, mm, <laughs> So if you don't know, it's a thing for your phone, your smartphone, and you can put it on there uh, so you can take selfies from farther away. Uh, it's for people who deserve to be on fire. <laughs> They come in different colors, so you can really express yourself. Pink, green, purple, blue, what do I want? Um, <laughs> but I've gotten uh, to travel a lot more to tell jokes, which is exciting. Like, so I'm here in L.A. and, um, you know, a glam- other glamorous places like Bloomington, Indiana, uh, <laughs> which is actually super fun to go tell jokes in. Uh, and I was there, and I was on Tinder, because I like to fuck as well. And... <laughs> I came across the most amazing profile. It was this guy, and uh, it was just before Halloween, and he was like, Halloween is such a scary holiday. (laughs) But not for the reasons that you'd think. (laughs) (laughs) It's scary because I'm all alone with nobody to share it with. And then the very next line of his profile just said, really looking for a woman who doesn't just want to get her holes filled. Uh, (laughs) Which is the grossest way to try to say that you're classy that I've ever seen. (laughs) Ever. (laughs) So we matched, and... started talking to him right away primarily to make fun of him and I was just like hey I love Halloween too do you want to make make, like skeletons and bone and he didn't reply to that and then I just wrote boo I'm a Halloween ghost I have unfinished business (laughs) 
that unfinished business is filling my holes. Can you help? Uh, <laughs> and he wrote back. He wrote back right away and uh, was like, "Oh my god, I'm so embarrassed. I was drunk when I put that on there. I'm gonna take it off." And then he did take it off like a fucking wiener. <laughs> Which led me to the conclusion, this guy is either the only man in the world who gets more prudish when intoxicated, because I was unaware that that was a condition. Uh, uh, he is a hypocrite. He'd fill all of our holes, given half a chance. Uh, or, or I'm really good at persuading people to do things, and I should re-release my essay on why we don't need the Electoral College anymore. <laughs> always tell stand-ups because they shake my hand. It's cool, guys. Despite what Claire said, you guys, you can touch me. I'm safe. Uh, man, that was, that was super great. Uh, I thank uh, Katie Johnson-Smith earlier for helping book this show. I also have to thank Mary Beth Smith from Nerdlogs and Kevin Reeder, producer extreme of the Nerdlogs, for getting some fucking fantastic guests tonight. Uh, this next fella uh, technically comes to us through Kevin, although he is he is all of our friends. Uh, he uh, opened up for us last night in an improv group. It was Really tremendous. Also, it's possible he thinks that he hosted the first Your Stories before it was a podcast, before I was in the group. Uh, I don't know. I don't know the history of that. I, there's no audio. Kevin says, yeah. All right. There's no audio record, so it's not real to me. But I, I believe you. Eric Roth! Hi, everyone. Um... So like we're gonna get like real fucking into it right now. Uh, this is this is less a story and it's more about uh, sort of the normalization of nerd culture, like and, and kind of where we are as a society with with Marvel sort of being so big and and uh, you know people kind of like normal people cosplaying and, and that sort of like like oh weird and uh, and and I want to talk about it in terms of like. Uh, 2001 to 2005 as being an important... Is somebody... Am I getting heckling for talking about normal people cosplaying? <laughs> Whoops. Uh, uh, so, like, 2001 to 2005 being very important because uh, that's when I was in high school. And I want to make, like, a really unsubstantiated uh, statement, which is that 2004 is the year that nerd broke. And, uh, and, and I want to talk about that, uh, obviously, uh, within the context of punk rock and, like, what punk rock was in 2001 to 2005 and why that was important to me as being, uh, like, a kid in, in Chicago as, like, a 13 to 14-year-old going into high school. Uh, I was this uh, uh, chubby, like, math nerd with a beautiful tenor voice. <laughs> Do a back a backflip uh, because I'd been raised a gymnast. Uh, it's just what's up. That's what's that's what happens in Chicago. Uh, it's like you got to do a backflip or you're you're doing drugs. Uh, well, no, and actually that's what this is sort of about is about uh, wanting to be cool um, as a 13 year old and about how punk rock um, met that feeling for me and I'm, I'm not really talking about uh like obviously i got to punk punk rock had existed for like a quarter of a century by that point and and i got to it from uh being in third grade and really loving green day and then uh and then uh blink 182 and the offspring sort of appearing and that leading to epitaph and then finding no effects and and rancid and then to like uh the germs and x and bad brains and bad religion <laughs> Uh, two woof, bad brains, bad religion. <laughs> uh, but uh, and and like and minor threat and um, and then sort of what punk rock was at two thousand one, which was um, uh, yeah, like some forty one and you know some forty one doing like that damned cover like on that album, right? Anyone? We get that, yeah. And uh, we're like, nobody who would listen to Sum 41 was listening to The Damned. So they were like, I don't know. But like, um, uh, and um, I guess, so this is like a, a tiny history of like what it means to be cool and, and um, 
And to go from this kind of like nerdy kid that I was who like, you know, started smoking weed and, and started uh-huh. drinking and, um, and got into this really, really great uh, public high school, which was like a magnet school. And my, uh, my math teacher was this fucking MIT, University of Chicago, like power genius nerd fucking like, <laughs> Gah! right? Like, like this dude is like, ah! <laughs> right, right. That's what we're all into that, right? Uh, um, and and uh, we became really close because he also liked punk rock, and uh, we both shared uh, Double Nickels on the Dime as our favorite album, uh, The Minutemen, the double LP that they released. And, and and because I had a cool uncle, I got to listen to it. And it's such like this in 2001. That's kind of a deep cut because uh, and and what it allowed me to do was try to balance out in my head like this fucking like super nerd kind of thing and then this like no I want to fucking be breaking bottles in the alley and like get arrested and I was going to like DIY shows and like I went to a you know like gravy train one night and like dudes rubbing his asshole and dick in my face and then like the next I'm getting up at 8 in the morning to go do a math competition and just like fucking crushing it Uh, (laughs) and this person as being a very important uh person in in trying to remedy these two situations and so while I get cynical about oh and so 2004 is important right because that's when Spider-Man 2 comes out and Wolverine 2 comes out and I think it it wasn't just comic comic book movies being successful that was uh, important but the sequels to comic book movies being successful because the sequel to like that's what comic books are all about and that's sort of where we've gotten with Marvel franchises and and, and things that I I think are pretty fucked up like I think it's pretty fucked up that superhero movies are are, are cultural sort of like boom because it's about like beating people up to achieve solutions and (laughs) and when you're like a fucking 13 year old pimply like you know like like, uh, you know like that's like you know, understandable, but when it's like your national, like, hero is like, we beat you up to solve your problems. <laughs> it's fucked. It's fucked. Uh, and, but, um, oh, okay, so the question was, this, this is the big question. It's like, what does it take to walk across the stage in 2005 uh, to, to pick up the first place trophy for the state math competition in the 2A division? And uh, we had decided, me and this math teacher decided my freshman year that it was like uh, a mohawk uh, with uh, the highest frequency of color uh, or, and or can walk, stand on their hands long enough. And so by 2005, I had a mohawk, like we like fucking Bic razored a mohawk after doing individuals, which I bombed. I bombed the shit out of that last math competition. Like I had, I had no no, 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 right, like, walking up on stage and picking up that trophy, but, like, we big razored a mohawk on, and I could do a handstand. Uh, so, so, it's, I guess, I guess what I, I'm saying is that, so 2005, um, after Nerd broke in 2004, you know, like, what does it mean for us now? Right, like because because we can totally be cynical about uh, about the culture and and where it's gone, but like we all needed that moment of being like a nerd, you know, power freak, right? And and, and getting to this point where like we we sort of watch this thing validated, but not validated in the way that we wanted to be validated, in the way that punk rock saw itself in the '90s with. Uh, Nirvana, and even before that, like in the in the eighties, with like REM and U two, and and, um, and so like to feel like this culture that's being co opted and and ve- in, in, in a very terrible, violent, uh, you know, uh, it's it's getting less misogynistic, but I, I think the national list politics and the the race politics of it are just like they took the worst things about comic books, and that's like what is the big thing right now. Uh, but like, fuck, man, we need, we needed that, and we needed to be able to be the people that were like, nah, like I go and I fucking like, you know, I go to shows that have blood all over the floor because we're smashing into each other. But I also like, 
you know, get derivatives. Like, I get... <laughs> uh, so I guess I, that's all. I, I, there's not, I'm just like, I don't have any more than that, but that's like... I could talk about superhero movies and culture all night. I uh, Sometimes I write academic papers about that shit. So, Eric, let's talk later. I'm currently working on a paper about the use of the soundtrack in Transformers the Movie 1986. P.S. If anyone has any insights on that vis-a-vis Heavy Metal the movie, I would love to talk to you. I know no one does. Uh, but I'm just, just throwing that out there. Oh, well, this guy does. All right, let's talk. Let's be friends. Yeah, I do. All right, we'll have to... We got three more speakers, and then then you and me, buddy. We're gonna do it. All right, all right. Coming up next, um, the speaker. I I worked with her on a website called Cover Me in the freelance writer days of my career, and it is probably the best website I've ever written for. It is a website about cover songs, which you might be able to tell I like a lot. Uh, she has worked with the Young Storytellers Foundation in Los Angeles, which is a wonderful thing. Uh, she currently has started freelancing full time and uh, is up to some really great stuff. Also, a candle maker, which is really cool. This is uh, this is Maggie Clancy. personally glad that nerd culture broke because, you know, now men are kind of like, they're like, oh, have you seen this? Have you seen this? And I get to do, no, I haven't. I haven't seen Star Wars. And just like, Admiral Akbar, it's a trap. And I win. <laughs> but, um, but it's, I, um, I mean, like anybody who moves to LA, I feel like, you know, it's a huge transplant sort of culture. Um, I moved out here three years ago, actually. Around the same time as Ramiro, we uh, went to DePaul University in Chicago together. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I moved out here with like stars in my eyes and 300 bucks in my pocket, thinking, you know, I went to film school, so I'll definitely get a job. Um, <laughs> and it just it didn't pan out like that. So, I mean, I don't want to bore you with like terrible stories of being like a PA or having shit jobs because I'm sure at one point or another we've all driven two hours to go to a lily pad farm for the guy who wrote Contact, and we went shopping for lily pads, and we all took pictures of said lily pads. Right? Is this the color you want? He's like, yes, that looks great. I'm like, perfect. I brought them back to his pond. I got in, and I waited, you know, up to here, and placed said lily pads in his pond, and we've all been like, is this okay, Michael? And he's like, we should just return them. And you're like, okay. <laughs> so we've all done that, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, when I moved down here, I had my fair share of shit jobs. I had uh, my assistant job, which I just did like personal errands and lily pad placing. Um, I also worked at a restaurant at the Grove, which if you're not from LA or not familiar, it is hell on earth. <laughs> it is one of the worst places ever. And I literally just stood... Downstairs was like a two-story restaurant, and I was a hostess, so I wore five-inch heels that were mandated, and I skirt up to here. I was like, do you want to see our menu? Do you want to see our menu? And um, I had Russian men offer me second cell phones, which I don't know why I would need them, but they were offered to me. Um, and lastly, I used to, you know, nanny, um, and I had a six-year-old tell me, if you eat more than one donut a month, you're going to get fat, and that's bad. Oh. So my spirit was crushed. Um, but luckily, after eight months of that, I landed a um, full-time gig as an office manager at a boutique commercial production company, which sounds super ritzy, but it's just the glorified receptionist. Um, and I did that for two years, and you know, you think you're like, I'm doing it, like, I've got the full-time gig, I'm meeting people, it's going to lead to things. And then in November, I just hit this point where I'm like, I keep working in an office at age 45, I'm going to do whatever the female equivalent is of buying a sports car, which I assume is, like, bejazzling your vagina or <laughs> something like that. So I'm like, I need to get out. So I gave my notice. I, you know, left quietly, and um, I've been freelancing ever since. And what I've learned is that freelancing is just a soft way of telling your parents you're unemployed. <laughs> so, and you're just taking every odd job you can take. But um, the good thing about freelancing is now I kind of have this, like, I have the daytime back. It's actually really nice and pleasant. Um, so I've been taking my dog to the Silver Lake Dog Park, which is a lot of fun. I saw uh, Ron Perlstein there once, which was really exciting. Um, and I was just, like, my dog was, like, doing her thing, like, taking a shit or something. <laughs> and I just see this man. He's just, like, you know, average-looking dude, mid-30s. I'm just like, all right, whatever. And then he goes, come here, Theon. And I'm like, oh, he named his dog after Game of Thrones. Cool. But um, he was talking to his kid, and, like, this, like, little two-year-old comes running in, and, like, 
And despite like my life being so in shambles right now, like to the point where I'm like, I can put like $12 in my like car for gas. My body started doing this thing where it was like, fulfill your biological purpose. <laughs> <laughs> like, it was just like, ooh. <laughs> and like, I'm in, I, I just, I'm curious if like anybody was like, she's kind of cool. And then she starts talking about having babies and like, whoa. whoa, whoa. <laughs> Absolutely not. I mean, I'm in, I'm in no place or mindset to have kids, but like, I was thinking about it after my body was like, do it, do it, do it. Um, I was like, God, if I want to like live here, like the idea of raising kids in LA is mildly horrifying. <laughs> like, like when I worked at that restaurant, um, there was a sweet 16 birthday party there. And these 15 year old girls had like $8,000 Prada bags and like hair extensions to here. And I was just like, so sad, <laughs> so sad. So, you know, being 25 and, you know, having, you know, other things to do, you know, besides worry about, you know, non-existent kids that I have or don't have rather. I was like, what do I need to do to like raise kids in like a good way? And I thought of like three pillars and I'm like, this is going to guarantee you that my future kids are going to be like emotionally stable, responsible, like contributing members of society. First things first, they have to skateboard. <laughs> Number one, if you've ever been to Venice Boardwalk, you've seen these like 11 year old kids with long hair. Like they look like they should have been extras in Brink and you're like, <laughs> yeah, these kids know what's up. Like they know what's up. Like and they like always hang out in like packs, but like they don't never seem mean spirited. They always seem like they're having a good time. Like I mean, I've never skateboarded in my life, so this is all you know, just super speculation. But I'm assuming it's a good thing. And uh, they're being they're outside. They're like not on their screens. Although by the time I have children, I assume they'll have like contacts. We're like Buzzfeed lists, just like. <laughs> <laughs> Or Skynet will have taken over Los Angeles and Sarah Connor will be, you know, blasting away Terminators. Um, so that was pillar number one. I'm like, they're, they have to skateboard too. If they're like, Mom, you know, I want to play piano or I want to do karate. I'm like, you will skateboard. You will fucking like it. <laughs> so that's pillar number one. Pillar number two, they have to learn Spanish. Because we live in Los Angeles. Like, I think it's just a smart thing. In high school, I took German because as a white girl, I'm like, I'm 50% German. White, <laughs> white people, nobody cares what percentage of European races you are. <laughs> they just don't. And I just think it's important for my kids to be able to, like, you know, not take German. <laughs> I, took, I took it because, you know, I was 50% German. And it was the fifth leading language in the business world. I'm like, I want to be a filmmaker. This will definitely help me. <laughs> Solid work, Maggie. <laughs> and lastly, the last thing I'm like that I have to do for my children, I cannot let them enter the film industry. So they don't think about children that they don't already have at age 25 <laughs> and start thinking about what they can and cannot do. <laughs> <laughs> Latin in high school because I went to a Catholic school. That was very useful. <laughs> I don't remember any of it, but I think I read like the first half book of the Iliad, so that's cool. Alright, we have two more storytellers tonight. This next gentleman coming to the stage is a producer on shows I'm sure you've seen. He produced for Blind Date. He produces for a show called Food Paradise. Uh, he's an Emmy Award winning writer for a show called Win Ben Stein's Money. But these are not how I came to this gentleman. I, I uh, first found him through a podcast called Rock Solid, which is a sweet podcast about music. Uh, like I said, there's a lot of people with excellent taste in the audience tonight. I hope I did you all well. Uh, and then he produced a podcast called The Ketchup, which is a 52-week uh, serial podcast that combined like music discovery with like a post-apocalyptic society where the dude wakes up and all he has is a computer with songs on it, and he uses songs to like jar his memories of who he was before the apocalypse. And it was super fucking great. And with that said, this is Mr. Gary Lucy. <laughs> Too kind. Wow. Man, I am about to orally transmit some science to you fools. <laughs> it is time. Oh man. Thank you so much. If if you are the only one who believes something, they call it a delusion or a fantasy. But if you can get one other person to believe it, then it starts to become real. And Eric believes that I am still in show business, and that's all that counts. <laughs> so that means it's so. It is so. A couple, 
couple points of historical interest for uh, the uh, music nerds that are here and for the out-of-town kids. We're right next door to the uh, Elliott Smith um, figure eight mural right here. Get a picture right there. And uh, so I got my Elliott gear. We're about a couple blocks this way at the corner of uh, Silver Lake and Sunset is uh, Silver Sun Liquors, where uh, Silver Sun Pickups took their name. So be sure to get a picture over there. And uh, Jim Morrison jacked off right there. <laughs> right there. There's a storm. <laughs> but, um, I was so excited that uh, the uh, the theme was the grind because it it dials right into two things that uh, I love to think about: um, impermanence, the uh, the uh, temporary nature of all things, and also the mystery of what happened to all the organ grinders. <laughs> They're gone. For generations, uh, organ grinding, it was a mainstay of, um, you know, inter- independent entertainment culture that, of which you guys are all fans of, because, because you're like at this show, and then it, it disappeared. And, um, Hem- Hemingway has a great, uh, phrase for this about how things, like, go away, like, grad, it happened gradually and then suddenly. Like, by the time you realized it was happening, it was too late. To do anything about it, and that's that's kind of what happened to the organ grinders. But uh, <laughs> let me back up. Okay, so it, if if you don't know, an organ grinder, this was um, it uh, it ran from about late nineteenth century all the way up to like the sixties. And uh, if you were an Italian American gentleman, uh, don't want to stereotype, but it was Italians mostly, and. Uh, you didn't want to go into the uh, family plumbing business with your brother? <laughs> I want to be in the show business, but I got a no talent. <laughs> Back then, there was no podcasting to get into, so... <laughs> At that time, the show business job with the lowest bar of entry was organ grinding. And... If you don't know what it, you would you would buy this box. It was a uh, a, a music box, and you would uh, it had like a it was a monopod. It had lo- a long stick. You'd go down to the corner. You'd bring your box down to the corner, and you would grind. <laughs> no, you would you would grind it. It was like a you know ding da ding da ding da ding da ding da ding da ding. That's not the whole show though. The exciting part about an organ grinder is his little helper was always a monkey. <laughs> He'd have a little monkey like on a leash like tied to the uh to the organ and uh often wearing a little brocaded vest <laughs> to match his uh impresario and uh he'd have a little cup and you tip him. So uh for 70 years every major city there was you they had organ grinders and now they're gone which means as a society at some point we got tired of monkeys what? <laughs> This has been a great show, and there's a little bit more left of it, but there ain't going to be no monkeys on this show. What if there was? You would say, how was that show? It was fantastic. There was a little monkey. He shook my hand. It was great. So if, 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 it's, if it's scientifically impossible to get tired of monkeys, what happened to all the organ grinders? Well, was it an economic thing? Did they get, like, priced out of the business? <laughs> Americans have always had plenty of discretionary income for street performers, in good times and bad. And in fact, in bad times, it's even more. Like, it, today, you go down to Third Street Promenade, there's like those, uh, like 11 member dance troops. They do one routine. They get like a big Home Depot bucket full of 20s. You know, you've seen that. You were in one. <laughs> so it wasn't, it wasn't the economics of it. And besides, organ grinding, it's not about the money. It's about the music. <laughs> it's about the monkeys, but it's about the music too, kind uh, was it, uh, was it a legal thing? Was it a cultural shift? Did we like, was there new laws that came out where we thought, ah, oh, maybe this isn't, uh, maybe, you know, the most dignified way that we can treat Italian Americans. Maybe they should, or monkeys, uh, you know, maybe they should uh, do something else. <laughs> Giuseppe, you gotta take it easy with the organ grinding. We're trying to elevate the race and, you know, we've got the, Godfather thing here, maybe just like I, I think I could get you a modeling job for a. Uh, there's a new pizza place. They need a model for their menus. Can you make an OK sign? Good. Okay, that's it. You're hired. <laughs> so it wasn't that. Uh, and, and then I think, well, what? Like it kind of wound down in the mid '60s 
what was happening in America in the mid '60s? Well, the Beatles showed up. So I can imagine that there's a group of teenagers, you know, they're on the corner enjoying the dun 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 Car drives by, she loves you, yeah, yeah. What's that? And they all like that. Gradually, then suddenly, it happened. Boring grinding was done. But uh, no, so it wasn't the Beatles. But then I remembered what else was happening in the mid-60s in America. And it was uh, our escalation of involvement in the Vietnam War. And uh, you probably saw the documentary about the... Uh, Tunnel monkeys of Coochie who would go through. A lot of them were drafted. And that's where a lot of our, our monkeys went to uh, Vietnam. And uh, they never made it home. Up here. Up here they may have never made it home. They were back, but... Why are you no dance anymore? But uh, it just happens. That's all that happens. Things change. You know, they, you know, our tastes change. And uh, show business can be a show business with monkeys can be a grind. All show business can be a grind. Being the host of the grind can be a grind. Do you guys remember that? Are you old enough for that? Probably not. Just barely, a little bit. All right. That was our. Uh, that was the um, after-school dance program in the in the early '90s uh, on MTV, hosted by. Uh, Eric Nees, one of the original uh, real worlders, and uh, first couple months, I'm sure, I was like, yeah, we get paid to party. They did 1,400 episodes of that motherfucker. Aww. You know, by by about 900, he's like, oh my god, I got so many workout video ideas that I want to get to. <laughs> I need challenges, man. But here's something interesting about uh, the grind that, uh, like, you watch, like, you see old clips of, like, Soul Train or American Band Center or something. It's like a party. It's like, yeah, it was like a, a happening, like a communal event. But you you watch some, like, grind clips, and everyone's kind of, like, like disaffected and kind of in their own world and things like that. Here's what happened. Halfway through the run, this is absolutely true, like, MTV moved to the to that 1515 Broadway place where where they would tape it. And there was, like, very strict noise policies in that building. So they literally taped it with no music and dubbed it in. I swear to God, I'm not making it up. So, so kids would just be like, just everybody was doing their own thing, and they would dub it in. So um, that was, uh, oh, shit. That was, so I, I, was, I was, how great would it have been if, like, you know, like, chief, it isn't working. There's no chemistry. The kids are just doing this. And uh, they would have looked out the window there. Fifteen floors down and saw a little organ grinder. Bring that guy up. Just grinded it. That would have been great. Anyway, thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of the program. Gary, thank you so much. That was a real treat for me. I wish I could say that we had a monkey to close the show, but I think you will all be super thrilled with our next guest, all the same. I'm going to read you some credits, and then I'm going to tell you an introduction I've been saving for him for about... Katie, when was that show? What? That show that you produced for this gentleman? Like two years ago? Okay, so I've been saving this introduction for three years. But first, let me tell you, this gentleman was in a group called Derek Comedy. They made a movie called Mystery Team. It was really great. Uh... He is an author. I saw him on a, a tour for one of his books. He uh, is a writer. Uh, that's the same thing as author. Uh, what I meant to say uh, is that he was also in Captain America 2, which is really cool. We all love that movie, I'm sure. Here's the introduction I've been waiting to give you forever. At your one-man show that I saw, Gorilla Tango, you said something. I, you know you've written something good when someone wants to fuck you after they read it. <laughs> By that rubric... I have written one half of a good thing. This is Mr. DC Pearson. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Keep it going for Eric and the whole nerdologues. This is the best show ever. Thank you guys so much for sticking around. This is so cool. It's easily the most Midwestern thing I've ever been a part of. And my part of my dad's family is from Minnesota, and the other part is from Iowa. So it means a lot that this is the most Midwestern thing I've ever been a part of. Um, also, to make it even better, thank you for sticking around. Finally, right before this, I got on, I like a number of things converged. Uh, one, you're like, like one, a guy came up and just gave like an earnest, you know, inveighing against like modern comic book movies. And then you're like, this guy's in Captain America too. Um, uh, 
And then the gentleman before me was like, you know what's the best entertainment better than any kind of entertainment is monkeys. And then you're like, this guy's not a monkey. But it's balanced out by positive things, like the gentleman that went before me who was wonderful. I believe he maybe had some friends in the audience, and there was one guy in the group that uh, is like the most Midwestern earnest, like wonderful, awesome, like warm show ever. And like the entire time, there was just a little hint of L.A., and that hint of L.A. was a dude in the second row with a mustache. Very handsome gentleman. Looks like David Strathairn in uh, L.A. Confidential, you know, like who like cuts hookers to look like movie stars. Uh, and just was throughout the entire of the show, I swear to God, just on IMDb the whole time on his phone. Like, as though he was like, what are movies? Like, that was the only explanation I could come up with for that. Uh, but after that gentleman, who was very funny and talked about monkeys, went, they all uh, left. And so that's super exciting. So now we are here, and we're ready to close out the show. Because uh, I really wanted to say that thing about him looking like David Sertarum, but I was like, do I have the guts to do it in front of him? And then, and then, and then next week being like an NBC development meeting and he's like the head of, not, not even the head of like programming, but like the head of like electricity. He's like, I'm the guy that provides the electricity that runs our everything. So what about my mustache? Um, uh, but so this is a, uh, this is a story, a true thing that happens. So there's a story about, I guess, being, if I want to connect it to the theme, like, being on your grind, and, and my grind is the grind of doing uh, storytelling, doing live storytelling. I, I really enjoy it. And uh, my first uh, girlfriend that I ever had in high school was when I started fooling around with her, some, my, my friend's girlfriend, and not even just my friend, but a friend that I would play N64 uh, Goldeneye with, which is like a friend friend, you know, like really a friend. Um, and uh, we, me and his girlfriend were just like normal friends until one night she showed up at my house and she had been crying because my friend had done something to, to make her be crying. Um, and she came inside and she ended up laying across my lap and she was like crying and at one point I screwed up all my courage and I leaned down and for whatever reason I rolled up her shirt just a little bit and I leaned forward and I started making out with her stomach uh, and she didn't stop me so I continued making out with her stomach um, and then at a certain point she got up and she left and then the next day we had like a big like you know uh, fucking like big like treaty like UN like summit between the two of us where we were like what do we do like you're my friends like girlfriend like what but that was great we really liked doing it so what we agreed upon is that in order for it to not be cheating on her boyfriend we could only do what we had already done which just led to weeks upon weeks of secret illicit hangouts where I would just literally make out with her stomach <laughs> until one fateful evening when I got to see her boobs after doing the sexiest thing a gentleman can do asking um <laughs> And it was very, it was very exciting. Um, and so throughout the, so, but then, um, so she broke up with her boyfriend eventually. We started dating. We went out for a year and a half, um, until recently was, is, was my longest relationship. Um, and then she graduated and went away to college because she was older, but college was in the same town. Uh, and we continued dating. And then she called me one night and she was like, can I come over? And she, and she came over. Um, and get this, she was crying again. Um, and uh, I was like, what's going on? And she told me at that point that her, the head of her college improv group had kissed her. And I said, uh, well, what, what, is that, what does that mean? And what it meant was that she was going to break up with me and now start dating the head of her college improv group. So we broke up. And this whole, and I was like upset, like, you know, not, I couldn't be too upset because if somebody like leaves you after the genesis of your relationship was you cheating on somebody else, you can only be so mad. But up to that limit, I was very mad. Uh, I was like the full amount of mad. Um, and so we broke up. So that, the whole saga of our relationship was kind of my like romantic origin story in a lot of ways. It was sort of my Lord of the Rings. Like I knew it was this sort of formative saga with a lot of of, you know, crazy uh, ups and downs and twists and turns. And so throughout the entirety of my life as a, as a comedian, like 10 plus years now, I've sort of been telling stories of my real life and storytelling shows just like this one in my romantic life, in my professional life, and all kinds of things in my life. And 
this, I knew this story was like the Moby Dick, right? Like this was like the big, this was like the big one. And so I was like, like developing my chops until one day I can actually like tackle this story. And eventually I did. I wrote an entire hour long show based on the saga that I just sort of briefly summarized for you guys. And then almost exactly a year ago, I was asked to do San Francisco, San Francisco Sketchfest. And they asked me to do it as a stand up. And they were like, you get an hour as a stand up. And I was like, I don't have an hour as a stand up, but I did just develop this hour long storytelling show. So I'll go and at a stand-up show, I'll just do this like hour-long storytelling show about the first relationship that I ever had that I just told you guys about. So I go to San Francisco. I'm like super excited. I'm a little bit nervous, but I'm like, I think this is going to go good. I feel really confident about this. I go to the San Francisco Punchline, very traditional like 80s style comedy club. Um, that's great. Nobody listening to this podcast get offended by being like, we're not from the 80s. I mean, you are. There's like, uh, the, behind this, like the backdrop to the comics is like a cool pastel city, you know? So... <laughs> So it can be from too many decades. But um, so I go, but it's a great club. Anyway, I go and I do it and or I'm doing it. I'm up there on stage. I'm telling the story. And about 20 minutes in, I just see out of the corner of my eye, just like a, just a silhouette in the audience that I can barely see at all because it's very brightly lit. And something in my gut just shifts. And I say to myself in my head while I'm doing the show, I say to myself, I think that's her. And now I had not seen this person since we had a uh, a lunch where it was like right after we had broken up. It was maybe like six months afterward. And it was like the big like, we're going to be friends. We can do this. I'm a grown up. You're in college. I think I'm in college. We can do this. Um, and we went and we got like fancy pizza for Arizona, which just means like it has oregano on it. And... <laughs> And we went, and then I was convinced in my head, I was like, she's still dating the head of her college improv group, but today is the day that I win her back through sheer force of justice. Like, I should just get to, for whatever reason. Um, and so, But I didn't know how I was going to do it. I just knew that it would happen. And so after lunch, she's like, do you want to come back and see my place? And I was like, yes, this is how it happens. And I go back to the place that she shares now with the head of her college improv group, who's not there, and I'm like, this is when it happens. And then I look around their college, very mature, you know, two mature college people living together apartment. And I see on their entertainment center, they have a Nintendo GameCube. And I was just like, she's gone. Like, I just knew, like, he's buying her GameCubes. I can't compete with that. Like, she's fully gone forever. So I was like, okay, cool, she's gone. So I had not seen her since that that fateful afternoon, like, you know, 10 plus years prior. And I can't continue looking over there in the audience because I know that if I confirm for myself that it is in fact her, everyone here at the show will need a refund, right? Uh, I will not be able to go on. So I kind of like stop looking over in that general direction and then I do the rest of the show, 40 minutes and then I get off stage and I go backstage and I say to a friend of mine who's backstage, I was like, the girl from the show, I think she's here. I think she's in the audience. And he's like, does she live in San Francisco? And what I say is, I don't know, maybe. And what I mean is I know she does because of Facebook. <laughs> and he's like, well, you got to go out front and see if it's her. You got to go see if it's her. So I go out front and underneath the green sort of, you know, 80s uh, comedy club awning and underneath like the sort of like, you know, dead bug and rain encrusted light, I look out and there she is. She's there. It's her. And she looks almost exactly the same. And when we meet somebody that we haven't seen in a long time and they look almost exactly the same, we get excited because we feel like that means that maybe we also look exactly the same. <laughs> Although I consciously know that not to be true because back when we dated, I didn't look the way I do now, which is like the Almond Brothers' brother <laughs> that they don't talk about and lives in a cage on the van. Um... <laughs> And it's there. She's she's there. Um, and she just starts hitting the fuck out of me. Not playfully. Playfully hitting the fuck out of me. But, like, you know, with intent, you know? It's like kind of a lane from Seinfeld, playful hitting, like, a lot of, like, forearm, you know what I mean? But, like, definitely, like, you know, with a purpose. It's like, it's like fun with a purpose. It's the Highlights magazine of playful hitting. And... And she's like, did you know I was here? 
And I, I, I'm going to say no, because A, that's the truth. And B, I think that'll like make it better, right? Like she thinks that maybe I like saw her and I just like started like into like just verbally doxing her basically about the entirety of our relationship, which isn't what happened. But as far as she was concerned, she just like went on Facebook and saw a thing that was like, oh, my ex-boyfriend's in town doing normal stand-up at a normal stand-up institution. I'll just go and see a normal stand-up show and instead it'll I thinking like it'll be like him being like what's the deal with airline food and instead it's me being like what's the deal with how vulnerable you were when you were 17 um <laughs> But I'm, it, 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 I, I didn't do that, and so that's what I tell her. She's like, she's like, D- did you know I was here? And I'm just like, no. And she's like, so you just do this show? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, it goes really well. <laughs> and she's like, so are you just like touring around the country, like doing this show? And now this put me in a bind because you never want to tell an ex that you are less successful than they might assume. But I wasn't touring around the country doing the show. So I tell her, I'm like, no, 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 I'm only, I'm like trying to downplay it basically. But I'm like, oh, I only did it like here and in LA where I live and in Phoenix where we're from and, 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 uh, and like just New York. Uh, and that seems to sort of assuage some of her fears like she thought that I was on like you know DC's he should have let this go a decade ago tour 2014 um, when in actuality I've just done it in oh I don't know most major cities Um, and so oh I should mention she was like super drunk because apparently one of the comedy club waitresses has, has, has had realized very early on in the show, just somehow like at, psychically ascertained that she was the girl in the show that was being talked about and just started her bringing, started bringing her constant drinks, uh, which like, who is this comedy club waitress and where is her TV show? <laughs> like, Touched by a punchline waitress. Like, she just, she just, like, brings, you know, people that have been damaged by the, you know, selfish act of comedy, just healing alcohol to salve their, to salve their wounds, the wrong that they've been done by, by selfish comics. And so I, I ask her, I'm like, are you okay with me doing the show? And she was like, yeah, no, totally, it's fine. And I'm like, do you, uh, is what happens in the show, is that like pretty much how you remember it? And she was like, yeah, totally, like everything's like what happened. And like, I think that speaks super well of her because neither of us come off amazing in the show. It's like clearly both a low point in our early confused teenage lives. And so she's just like, yeah, no, totally, like it's, it's great. And so I extend to her kind of as like, I don't know, like an olive branch or something like, oh, oh, this was the thing she immediately she got like kind of started getting upset again because in the show i didn't call her by her actual name i used just a a, a random other name and the random other name i picked was the name of a mutual friend of ours from high school but like another female name and so she just gets all upset and like that's my fake name is fucking date i I won't actually say what it is um uh she's like getting all upset which is like weird because i didn't realize that like 10 years on she still clearly thinks she has like status over this person like how dare you say that i'm whoever it was and i was like well do you want to like pick what your name will be in the show and she was like and she was like that's fair (laughs) and and so i'm like well what should it be and she's like i don't know now like don't ask me now or whatever and so i'm like okay you can like look you know like tell me on facebook and she was like okay cool and so i leave the show and i'm just like charged up right because i'm like now i have a fucking ending right uh and i'm And so I go and I do the show the next night. It's a two-night run of the uh, the show. I do it again at the at the punchline. And I'm so excited because I'm like, not only do I have this new ending that I get to roll out that just happened last night, but it happened in this very building that we're all sitting in right now. Like, this is such immersive theater. I'm the new Brecht. And... <laughs> And so I get to the end of the show where I get to, like, roll out the new thing about, like, and she was here last night sitting right there. And I'm like, you know, my ex-girlfriend Allison was sitting right there, right where you're sitting, miss. And I point to another lady who's sitting in the seat that my ex was sitting in the night before. And her face, like, falls. And she's like, 
but my name's Allison. <laughs> like, she had the same name as my ex, which was like life was being like, you know that ending I gave you last night? That's like not even good enough. I'm going to have it so that a girl shows up the next night and sits in the very same seat and has a not super common same la- same name as your ex, which is just like, I feel like life telling me like none of these chapters of our lives are ever closed. Like, they don't happen sequentially. They all just exist in the book and are sort of simultaneously being written and we don't get to choose when we flip to which part of the book you know what i mean and so i was just sort of like i was like i was like really like blown away by it and she still has not my ex has still to this day not told me like what her fake name wants to be um which is crazy but I did this exact story that I just told you guys almost exactly a week ago, two weeks ago in San Francisco again, where I got asked to do this storytelling show called Risk at Sketchfest. So I told the story back in the same place, and it was exactly a year to the night from the time when my ex had shown up at my show the year previous. And so I was really nervous, but then I I got out of the show and I was like, okay, she clearly wasn't here because she didn't, you know, uh, there was no outcry at any point. Um, And so I went, I came back here to Los Angeles and then I opened up Facebook and I had a new message, which is a lot for me on Facebook because I'm not super active. And I opened it and it was from my ex and it said, stop doing shows in my city where you make jokes about me, but don't invite me. And I was like, how did you know? And she was like, I have spies everywhere. (laughs) And I was like, cool. Next time I was like, quick trip, whatever. Like, you know, um, and I, I do next time I'm there need to actually like invite her to the thing, but it was just a lot, you know? (laughs) Um, it was just a lot. And I sort of, I sort of needed that, but I do like that she then like was there in spirit via some friend of hers who told her about it because it's like life keeps continually revising this story and like I won't stop until it's an eight layer Russian nesting doll of like like one of you is going to pull like somebody that did the show earlier is going to pull off her mask and be like it's me and I won't be able to say what your name is because like I said she still hasn't given me the fake name that she wants to be called I've known this person for 15 years and I still don't know what to call her thank you very much thank you man at the end of the night we're going to do one more song for you uh, first I'll say a couple things uh, starting with it is really heartening that uh, a group of midwestern comedians can come to LA and do two shows that are packed and I really appreciate you all showing up for this thank you so much you've all been wonderful so uh, yeah give yourselves a round of applause for that. Um, yeah it's our first time out west or out to LA anyway I like it a lot uh, let's do it again sometime so this is going to be a podcast in like a month or so. We actually have a, a big backlog right now, but it'll come out eventually. Your Stories comes out every Monday at Nerdalogs, or every other Monday, nerdalogs.com, facebook.com, slash the-nerdalogs. Uh, we do other podcasts. We do sketch shows. Uh, do we have anything coming up at all out here this year? Maybe. Nope. <laughs> nope. Uh, maybe if you go to some conventions like C2E2 or PAX, you might see this maybe. I don't yeah. know. Uh, go to C2E2 and PAX and... Uh, you know what? Fuck it. Uh, come to Chicago and just like, uh, just like find my name and like we'll hang out. Her name is Claire. My name's Claire. His name's Eric. That's true. Uh, <laughs> you guys have all been great, man. All the storytellers, you were wonderful. Thanks to Kevin and Mary Beth and Katie and Claire for helping get speakers here tonight. This is a really great group of people. So we're going to do one more song, and then we're going to hang out here somewhere and probably drink and stuff, so you guys should hang, too. I'd love to catch up with some of you guys. All of you guys, I guess. I guess. Uh, so this is a song that I thought fit the theme really well, and I like it a lot. You want, you want to say anything about it? Uh, Lord did a cover of this, and it's worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Good intro. Even while we sleep, we will 
Production. For more on the Nerdalogs and our shows, please go to www.nerdalogs.com. Thank you all. Thank you all. I am Grabbot23548X.